Good morning. Martin Luther King was a preacher, and I'm a preacher, so if you'll allow me to start with a word of prayer for the courage to speak and to listen. Gracious God, guide us to seek your truth. Come whence it may, cost what it will, lead where it might. Amen. It is such a profound honor and privilege to have been invited to give the address this morning, truly. I am overwhelmed that our community would invite me to this moment, and doing so in the name of King is such a tremendous honor. Now, I hope that the Spirit has given me some things worth saying this morning, but I can tell you I have already been blessed just in preparing for this address. Like most people who have studied history and rhetoric, I knew about King's mountaintop speech. I've studied I Have a Dream. I've been inspired by the drum major instinct. I've said that if we were to ever to add more books to the New Testament, the King's letter from Birmingham jail is at the top of that list. But in preparation for this morning, I've spent hours and hours since council member Anthony Smith so graciously called and asked me to speak. So I've been reading King's letters, speeches, and sermons, and it has been so very good to spend this last week reading and reflecting on his words. The theme of this weekend, as set both by the Human Relations Council, which does such good and important work in our community, and the King Center in Atlanta, is cultivating beloved community. And so as I've been reading King and reflecting and praying on beloved community, I'll share with you some of the fruits of my thinking and pray that they nourish you. Now, the first thing that becomes clear when we consider Martin Luther King is that it was never about him. As King said on the night before his martyrdom, it doesn't matter with me now. For King, it never mattered about him. It mattered about the one King was following, the one King drew his strength from, the one in whom King entrusted his hopes, the one who gave King his dreams, the one who makes beloved community possible. And that one is Jesus of Nazareth, a poor, brown-skinned man from an oppressed group in a Roman-occupied Judea in the first century. Now, I know this is not a sermon. This event is hosted by our city government. King made no apologies about which drum major he was following. And so if we are going to rightly remember King, we cannot pretend that King is intelligible apart from his faith. We remember King as a leader. To be sure, he was a leader and still is a leader. But what made King such a good leader is that he was a follower. King was confident that God was up to something in this world, that God is shepherding us into beloved community. King is remembered as a leader because he was a faithful follower. And that's a lesson for us in this world where everyone these days seems to want to be up front being the leader. But no one's quite sure where we're going. We need more faithful Followers, And there is nothing that King said that does not flow out of his commitment to this most excellent way of love, as exemplified by Jesus. But if we want to use different language, we can. We can take a cue from King when he said that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. So if you would prefer, we can say that justice is at the center of King's legacy. Because for King, justice had a name. Justice had a face. And that is Jesus. This orientation towards justice is what makes beloved community possible. 
And I bring this all up because I think King would tell us not to confuse the tip of our finger with what the finger is pointing towards. The theme of cultivating and achieving beloved community is such a good one because that keeps us going in the direction that King was going in. Yes, it is good to lift up King and to celebrate him this day. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that the fullness of his legacy is not in his speeches. It is not in his marches. But rather, the one, one of the things becomes so very clear when we read King deeply. His legacy is beloved community. And cultivating beloved community, that's such a helpful way to put it. It's an agricultural term. We know from gardening, the job is never finished. Yes, there's always more work to do, more planting and weeding, but those cycle of seasons continue coming. King picked up those seeds of beloved community from his faith. He watered it with conversations with Jewish rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel and the Hindu ethicist Mohandas Gandhi. And he sought to pull out those weeds from the garden, those weeds of segregation and violence. And to be sure, he harvested some very sweet fruits of beloved community. But it is now our time in the garden. There are more seasons ahead of us, and our community needs these fruits. There is so much to cultivate. And this is why we must do more than remember King. We cannot be content celebrating what he did. No, we've got to get our hands in the dirt and continue doing that work to cultivate beloved community. Now, we throw that term around a lot, don't we? Beloved community. What does that mean? Is it about singing kumbaya? All sharing a Coca-Cola as we teach the world to sing in perfect harmony? Of course not. But a lot of people dismiss it as such. Like the belief in the God who King followed, beloved community can be seen as something quaint from a bygone era. People tell us, look at Ukraine, look at Congress, look at our local elections and let me know where you see beloved community. But we are here because beloved community is not some ideal, not some pipe dream, not wishful thinking. King saw beloved community as realistic and achievable. And there's a phrase that King uses almost anonymously with beloved community. And it shows us why and how it is possible. And that other phrase is non-violence. King is very clear on this. Only love has the power to lead to true and lasting transformation. Because if we're focused on loving, we cannot at the same time do violence. Only love can absorb the evil of this world without adding to it. Love is creative. Love is redemptive. Love is our privilege and our obligation. Love, yes, it is about eliminating our enemies, but not by defeating them, but by befriending them so that they are enemies no longer. King once wrote as if he were St. Paul writing to the American church. The greatest of all virtues is love. It is here we find the true meaning of the Christian faith. Love is at bottom the meaning of the cross. Love is at bottom the heartbeat of the moral cosmos. We must remember that King always talked about beloved community as nonviolent resistance. But King was no pacifist. He was a resistor. And sometimes I wonder if we have dropped that resistance side of things, if we just roll over and accept things as they are instead of dreaming what they could be. 
Like love, nonviolence is not passive. Love is not about how we feel. Love is about what we do. It's why in marriage vows, we say things like to have and to hold, to honor and to cherish, instead of saying, well, I'll think nice things about you. <laughs> Just as love is about pursuing the good of the other, nonviolent resistance is about actively resisting attitudes and systems that degrade anyone. Now, if you've ever loved anyone, you know that love is hard work. And this is why people dismiss the idea of beloved community, because in truth, they don't think it's too pie in the sky. They think it's too gritty and challenging. In one of his speeches, King invites us to be dissatisfied. Well, we should not be satisfied with underfunded and under-resourced public schools. We should not be satisfied with disparities in criminal justice, education, housing, business, entertainment, finance industries that so clearly and consistently fall along racial lines. We should not be satisfied with a dysfunctional government that does not work for the people. We should not be satisfied when violence is seen as the solution to any problem. We should not be satisfied with an economy that allows a few to flourish and most to flounder. We should not be satisfied with ignorance or anything less than the truth. Because as Flannery O'Connor put it, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. Well, we live in a world that's all about satisfaction, or perhaps being pacified is the better way of putting it. King was quite, quite critical of the downsides of capitalism, and we would do well to heed his warnings. Uh-oh, the cat. We got another mic? Yes, we do. All right. <laughs> Hold that thought. <laughs> Y'all hear me in the back all right? Yeah. All right, well, I'll keep going and we'll, we'll get more sound when, when it comes. But we are so distracted by our own pet projects, our struggles with one another, that we forget about those larger issues that are holding us back from beloved community because King is so clear on this. Beloved community is not about defeating our enemies. It's about joining with one another to defeat injustice. If we are going to achieve beloved community, we have to be dissatisfied, but not with each other. Rather, dissatisfied with our division and injustice all around us. Thank you. For King, the goal of beloved community is not merely the emancipation of those who are suffering under Jim Crow and its modern manifestations, but beloved community is about the whole community. King notes that racism and prejudice come from fear and misunderstanding. But King knew perfect love casts out fear. Because those who benefit from and perpetuate racism and injustice, they are not powerful. They are weak. They are captive to their fears and their imaginations that have become narrowed. King's commitment to love drove him to want liberation for them as well. Because a refrain throughout his work is that we are tied together in an inescapable network of mutuality. What affects one directly affects all directly. Beloved community is as much about freeing those who are scared of change 
or unable to visualize that more excellent way of love as it is about eliminating injustice. Because beloved community is not good news for some and bad news for others. No, it is good news for us all. But again, good news is still challenging work. Transformation might be just what we need, but change is a challenge. The Human Relations Council's theme centers around cultivating a beloved community mindset. And so with that sense of the importance of both love and community in defining what beloved community is, I want to reflect on what is the mindset that might take us there. Because that mindset is what allows us to meet these challenges head on instead of continuing to ask answers for the wrong questions. There's a mindset that King consistently pointed towards, and he sought to cultivate it. It comes from the work of Martin Buber, a Jewish philosopher. Buber wrote that what causes so many issues in our world is that we have the wrong mindset when it comes to one another. Buber wrote about this. King picked it up and applied it to beloved community, and we will find it throughout his works. We confuse I-thou relationships with i it relationships. In other words, we treat people like an it, and we treat things like people. Our loves end up distorted. Our priorities skewed. Our communities fracture. And the result is this animosity and brokenness that we come to accept as normal. And because for King, humans are made in the image of God, to relate to any person as an it is a form of heresy. For those of us in the church, we must name racism, poverty, and injustice as heresies that deny the first chapter of the Bible. And we must do this as strongly as we would on any other religious issue. In a different context, the great bishop and civil rights champion of South Africa, Desmond Tutu, spoke about the idea of Ubuntu, which is translated as I am because we are. In other words, our humanity is grounded in our community, not in our ability to do things ourselves. It is the I-thou mindset that allows us to see the other as a gift from God, as a person worthy of dignity, as a subject and not an object. That is what allows us to cultivate beloved community. Will we prioritize this connectedness? Or we continue down the road of individualism. In one letter, King notes that we are all extremists about something. The question is, what will we be an extremist for? For hatred or for love? For being comfortable or inclusion? For the status quo or for beloved community? And particularly for those of us in predominantly and historically white congregations, we must denounce racism as antithetical to our faith. It has been the white church's complicity and commitments that have largely created the issues of injustice, and we must take responsibility for these actions. Does it matter that we were not here in 1619 or 1776 or 1861 or 1906? Or 1964? Of course not. I am blessed to have two wonderful daughters who mostly stay out of trouble. But if they do something that causes damage to another, 
Is it not my responsibility to address that wrong? Of course it is. As King said, we are not only our brother's keeper, we are our brother's brother and our sister's sister. The white church and community was undeniably involved in the creation of the injustices that we are dealing with, and we must see it as our sacred duty to address this in the name of the God who is love. And all of us, regardless of our age, race, gender, class, or any of those other identities that we claim in addition to being an I, have therefore the question before us of whether or not we relate to others as a thou or an it. It's a question of whether or not we are cultivating the dream of beloved community, or are we adding to the nightmares of selfish individualism and division. As Brian Stevenson has encouraged us to do, we must get proximate to one another. The biggest barrier that we have to beloved community is our distance from each other. Now, I suppose it's the work that we've done at St. Luke's Episcopal Church that ended up getting me invited here this morning. Goodness knows we are not a perfect church. We have much more to do. But I am proud of the way that that congregation has gotten proximate to difficult issues and having hard conversations. We've explored our history, considered the presence, and added icons which reflect a blessed diversity so that we can be closer to those ideals of beloved community. And there are plenty of others out there doing this work in our community who should be seen as examples of I-Thou relationship building. Actions in Faith and Justice, the Human Relations Council, Women for Community Justice, the Salisbury Rowan NAACP, and Racial Equity Rowan. And briefly, I want to lift up the work of that last group. Racial Equity Rowan. I am on the steering committee for this group, and we've been bringing dismantling racism workshops to our community since 2019. Our next workshop, all of these are hosted at Hood Seminary, is on March 23rd and 24th. You could go to racialequityrowan.org to learn more, and I would commend that to you all. Erica Chenoweth is an economist at Harvard University, and she has done extensive research into what it takes to really get a movement going. And her research tells us that it takes 3.5% of a population to be actively involved in a cause or an idea for that cause or idea to be considered mainstream by everyone else and successful. Just 3.5%. We might think about the Arab Spring or Black Lives Matter or what climate activists are trying to get us towards. We need just 3.5% of our community fully dedicated to cultivating beloved community for it to take off. Based on the population of Rowan County, we're talking about a little over 5,000 people. And if there's one thing this pandemic has shown us, it's how fast something can spread. So the question is, what will we do with King's legacy of beloved community? Writing from prison, he critiqued the church, noting that it used to be a thermostat in society. It influenced the morality and the principles all around it, provoking a crisis of conscience when that was needed. But now, it's a thermometer that records and judges what's going on all around it, but does nothing. Whether you're a part of the church or not, it's a question for us all to wrestle with. We're here on a Monday morning to celebrate the legacy of Dr. King and cultivate beloved community. But will we be thermometers that just tell our society that we've got a problem? Or are we going to be a thermostat 
that turns up the heat on institutions that have failed us, while at the same time lowering the temperature of our divisiveness as we strive to see others as a thou and not an it. Now, I've already mentioned that Gandhi had a significant influence on King. Whether or not King ever heard this particular quote from Gandhi, it doesn't matter so much because he would have recognized the truth of Gandhi's words. Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. My brothers and sisters, we have a lot of living to do because beloved community is within reach. Transformed I-thou relationships can happen among us. The resistance and the risk of love is worth pursuing as if today is all we have. And at the same time, we must always be learning because we do not know it all. As individuals, none of us has all the answers. We can never exhaust the depths of love. So we keep on engaging in dialogue and learning. And as we learn, we strive for beloved community like there's no tomorrow. I thank God for each of the vows that I see before me this morning. And I am thankful to be a part of this community that is learning how to recognize and cultivate a more beloved community. May we who have heard this call of justice have both the passion and the grace to pursue it as if there is no tomorrow and also be given the courage, wisdom, and power to achieve beloved community. Thank you all.